Amazon has revolutionized the way that people shop, but it has also done so much more than that. In two short decades, Amazon has grown from a modest online bookstore to an international conglomerate. A conglomerate that seems hell-bent on moving into every growing industry out there. Amazon has already conquered online retail, but it has turned its sights to online streaming, groceries, gaming, artificial intelligence, content publishing, robotics, data analytics, and a portfolio of other hyped-up 21st century industries. Some of these subsidiary businesses look bizarre in retrospect, and despite its record growth and revenue, the Amazon empire still barely turns a profit. Amazon will only be the second company this channel has ever explored, but it is extremely important to understand for a few reasons. The economic models that have driven Amazon's prosperity, the way that Amazon has influenced major worldwide investments and maybe not always for the best, and most curiously, why Amazon is pushing for reform in key areas that you wouldn't really expect. This episode of Economics Explained was made possible by our fans on Patreon. If you like to gain early access to these videos before they're uploaded to YouTube, as well as participate in exclusive live Q&A sessions, please consider supporting our channel on patreon.com slash economicsexplained. Part of the reason that Amazon is such a unique business is that it is difficult to say exactly what it does. Saudi Aramco, the largest company by market capitalization in the world, produces oil. Apple makes phones and computers. Microsoft makes software. But as we saw earlier, Amazon does everything. This is no mistake. Rather, it's part of the reason why it has been so successful. It's also part of the reason that it flies under the monopolistic radar. Now, someone would be forgiven for saying that, well, Amazon is an online retailer. Its online store accounts for a majority of its revenue, but only a small margin of its profit. Amazon famously started as an online bookstore, but the goal of the company was never to stay as an online bookstore. If someone was to say what industry Amazon is really in, it would be in the industry of breaking into new industries. There are certain markets in the world that are extremely hard for new businesses to break into. Mass market retail is a great example of this. A company like Walmart is the pinnacle of this industry. They have invested tens of billions of dollars into logistics networks, marketing, optimal storefronts and production facilities, all in an attempt to offer more competitive options to their customers. Even with all of this existing infrastructure in place though, most Walmart stores still only turn about a 1-3% to profit once these overheads are considered. If a new company wanted to start competing with Walmart, they would be in for a huge battle. Without the billions of dollars in supporting infrastructure, the up-and-comer is probably going to bring their products to market at a price point 10-15% to higher than the existing player. Nobody is going to pay 10-15% to more for the same products from a new store with no history when tried and true Walmart is just around the corner. The new business can't even try to compete on price because remember, at best, profit margins are around 1-3%. to This means an industry like mass market retail is almost impossible for a new player to break into off their own back. In economics, this is what we call barriers to entry. Industries that rely on having huge infrastructure are more prone to being monopolistic or oligopolistic because it is harder for new entrants into the market to start competing. Amazon gets around this in two ways. 
The first is by not really caring about profits. By breaking even or even losing money, Amazon has been able to move into industries that have typically been uncontestable. This is a luxury that is afforded to them by being able to raise lots of money from investors who don't mind if the company doesn't profit for a very long time, so long as it eventually carves out a spot in its market. The second strategy that Amazon employs to break into these markets is something that often gets overlooked. The company pulls money from profitable parts of the business to bankroll parts of the business that are losing money. Amazon Web Services is an incredibly profitable part of the Amazon empire. This profit is not returned to shareholders like it would be in a normal business though. Instead, this money is put towards projects that are not yet profitable to give them the funding that they need to break into these markets with high barriers to entry. This in turn eases the amount of funding that needs to come from new investors. Using this model, Amazon has never lost a massive amount of money but it just keeps on moving its would-be profits into new ventures. In a somewhat poetic turn of fate, Amazon Web Services, which is currently Amazon's most profitable business function, is helping thousands of businesses worldwide accommodate worldwide web traffic. This is a function that was previously only available to large institutions with the cash to set up server infrastructure all over the world. So this is just another way that Amazon is helping to break down these barriers to entry. But of course, this is not some altruistic act on behalf of Amazon. They are not taking the fight to all of these established industries just to stick it to the big guy. They, of course, want to be the big guy. When this relentless ambition is paired with a complete disregard for profits, the logical thought is that this is anti-competitive behaviour. Large companies with lots of money to burn can move into markets, drop their prices below cost, starving their competition that doesn't have the luxury of these huge cash reserves and drive them out of business. Once they are the only player in town, they can charge whatever prices they want and people will need to pay them because there is no alternative. This sounds eerily familiar to what Amazon is doing, but there is one big distinction. Sure, they are losing money in their new industries, but they aren't really doing it to drive competitors out so much as they are doing things a bit differently. Amazon has a virtual monopoly on the online retail space, but when it comes to regular retail, they are still dwarfed by Walmart. The same goes for all of their other ventures. They have all of the capital backings of a huge company, but they aren't a huge company in that particular space. Or put a different way, Amazon and its dozens of subsidiaries get all of the positives of being a big company, economics of scale, distribution infrastructure, plus power and influence, without actually being a monopoly in any particular market they participate in. Anyway, Amazon isn't even trying to be a monopoly per se, they are much more interested in being a monopsony. A monopoly is something that most people are familiar with. It's a market controlled by a single entity with no competition and very high barriers to entry exactly what Amazon was trying desperately not to look like as we saw earlier. A monopsony is not an Amazon generic brand ripoff of the famous board game, but rather it is the mirror image of a monopoly. While a monopoly has total control over the sale of a particular product or service, a monopsony has total control over the purchase of a particular product or service. Monopsonies are far less controversial in the public eye and most people probably have never even heard of the term. This doesn't mean 
that they are any less powerful though. In fact, one of the worst types of these entities are employment monopsonies. If there is only one company in town that is hiring staff, they are going to have very significant bargaining power over working conditions and pay because if someone doesn't like it, then they won't have a job because there is literally nobody else hiring. This sounds like an absurd hypothetical, but this type of structure exists in places like mining towns where the whole town is either there to work in the mine or serve the people that work in the mine. Beyond giving a monopsony unlimited negotiating power, it also makes an economy really unstable. If this monopsony goes out of business or runs out of things to mine, the entire town will need to be completely abandoned. On a national level, one mining town going out of business is not devastating, but we are seeing firsthand today that many major employers are being propped up by the government under the pretense that they employ tens of thousands of people. If a country ever got to the point where a business had a monopsonistic control over the workforce, it would likely be far more devastating than a monopoly ever could be. Now employment monopsonies are the most popular case study, but this definition extends to all goods and services, not just employment. Amazon does not want to be an employment monopsony, partially because it brings bad press and partially because humans are icky, expensive and unionist meatbags that are soon to be made redundant by Master Bezos and his robot army. No, instead, Amazon wants to be a monopsony for goods. If you are a business selling consumer goods, you really have no better option than to sell on Amazon. Sure, you can set up a brick and mortar store, have your own website or post listings on more boutique retail sites, but these are limited in reach and not conducive to bigger, more established brands. You can also try to get your goods sold through conventional retailers like Walmart. They will have minimum inventory requirements and are increasingly favouring their own Walmart branded products over third party products. Amazon combines a large audience with low barriers to entry and great logistics to make it the logical place for any business of any size to sell their wares. This is exactly what Amazon wants. It wants to slowly and silently become the only buyer in town. So this is great. We have learnt a new word and revealed Amazon's semi-secret plan for world domination, but Amazon is still just one company and it has actually had a bigger influence on the world of investing than it has on the world of retail. It has ushered in the era of profits as an option. Amazon under the stewardship of Jeff Bezos has famously not really delivered huge profits, or any profits at all for that matter up until very recently. This is partially an effective way to get around paying taxes, but let's be honest, they would have gotten around those anyway. The real motivator here is the growth at all costs mindset the company lives by. As we saw earlier, Amazon would much rather divert profits into breaking into a new industry rather than leave it on the income statement to be paid back as dividends. This has been an effective strategy and other businesses have started paying attention. The growth at all cost model has spilled over into a range of new businesses that are looking to develop rapidly and carve out their market share. Some notable examples include WeWork, Lyft, Uber, Snapchat, Dropbox, and a huge range of other household names. While these companies may be revolutionizing the way that we get around and the way that we work and the way that we connect, they are also eroding the way that we invest. 
An unprofitable company is not a great sign for potential investors, but it's not necessarily a deal breaker if there is a plan for profitability. Most startups do not start out turning a profit, but it is usually a huge motivator and the company will constantly be working towards breaking even and eventually carving out a profit for itself. That's just how business works. These companies are already established and all generate huge revenues, but they are not profitable. Some of them still lose billions upon billions of dollars a year. And worst of all, they don't even have a plan to get to a profitable business model. These businesses rely on a constant supply of venture capital to keep the lights on. On a macroeconomic level, this is a frightening reality because typically investing is about the efficient allocation of resources to businesses that can produce things of value to society. If these businesses aren't turning a profit, it's difficult to really tell if society values them enough for them to naturally exist. The side effects of wild speculation in an attempt to find the next unicorn can be really destabilizing. There is a very compelling argument that we are seeing a second tech bubble fueled by companies that don't even need to show the potential for profits in order to get cash thrown at them. As a happy little side effect to all of this, Uber rides are directly subsidized by venture capitalists. For any given ride home on a Friday night, Uber is actually losing money after it pays the driver and the overhead for the technology that made it all possible. If Uber was to actually start making a profit, people would need to start paying around 20 to 40% more for their rides, which a lot of people probably wouldn't. In the meantime though, who said fat cats never gave back to the common man? Going into business everywhere and deconstructing the way that we think about investing is not the only unusual activity that Amazon gets itself into. They also seem to be in the business of shooting themselves in the foot. In November of 2018, the company raised its minimum wage to $15 an hour for all employees. This was a widely praised move by all stakeholders and went a long way to ward off the criticism the company was receiving about underpayment of staff and poor working conditions. To make things even weirder, the company is now lobbying in Washington to raise the national minimum wage to $15 everywhere. Amazon is currently the second largest employer in the United States, only falling behind Walmart. So why on earth would this company be begging politicians to make them pay their enormous workforce more? Well, again, this is not a totally altruistic act. You see, Amazon already committed to these wage increases, but their competition hadn't. More generic retailers like Target, Kmart, and of course, Walmart. These businesses have investors who actually expect profits and also have a heavier weighting of labor cost to total revenue. This is before it is considered that Amazon is investing hundreds of millions of dollars into supply chain automation, which will mean that their labor force is likely to start shrinking over time. They are miles ahead of their competition in both of these aspects. So sure, increasing labor costs will hurt their bottom line, but it will hurt their competition much more. This is called weaponizing policy, and it's just another way that Amazon is bringing the heat to their competition all while looking like a hero that is advocating for their workers. Amazon is a huge company that in a little over two decades has redefined how we think about shopping online, starting a website, 
investing and doing business, the company has received a lot of criticisms in all areas of its operations, ranging from poor working conditions to anti-competitive behaviour. Some of this criticism is fair, but despite all of this, there is little doubt that the company will continue to be unbelievably successful into the future. This inevitable success will be driven by the company's deep and somewhat concerning insights into human nature, politics, business, and yes, of course, economics. Hope you enjoyed the video. If you did, please consider liking and subscribing. This video is made possible by our patrons over on Patreon. If you want to have your say about what country or topic we explore next, please consider supporting the channel like these awesome people did. Thanks guys. Bye.